Welcome to the favorites, the podcast, part of the volume podcast network. I am Chad Millman. I am your host and I am joined as I am every week by my companion, my BFF, the greatest gambler to hit the Jersey shore since Nucky Thompson, Mr. Simon Hunter. Hello. What an honor. Yeah. The goal is definitely to be the Billy Walters of New Jersey. So I got a long way to go. I got to win it for 30 straight years, but that, that's definitely the goal. You got to win for 30 straight years. You got to come up with an entirely new dynamic. You need to have a network of people working for you that can move tens of millions of dollars. You need a private jet. You need a feature in 60 minutes. That's what you need. Yeah. This is setting, setting high goals here. And I started, I have one runner, great friend of mine, a trustworthy guy. All I need is about 20 more and I can be even close to what he was doing on a daily basis. We want to help you get there. We want to expand your portfolio. <laughs> we want to get you there. First, we are going to get to some very important MLB breakdowns with our MLB experts, Colin Wilson and Sean Zarillo. Um, because guess what? MLB opening day starts today. You may have forgotten because there's so much NBA trade deadline news. There's so much NFL free agency news. College basketball, March Madness has been happening. MLB decided, hey, in the middle of all that, instead of waiting a week and waiting for March Madness to finish, let's start in the middle of the week between the, the Elite Eight and the Final Four. That's what we're going to do. MLB, always thinking about how to get their sport some more attention. We're going to do it for them. We're going to give them some attention. We're going to get smart about betting baseball every day. We're going to get smart about betting win totals, futures, maybe some Cy Young. Last year, Sean Zarillo, our baseball expert, nailed, nailed who was going to win the Cy Young. Big, big bet. Before we get there, Simon, with Colin and, and Zarillo, uh, there was some NFL news this past week. It broke that the league is going to be adding a 17th game to the schedule. That is good news for everyone in the money-making biz, except for maybe the players uh, who are miserable that they have to add this 17th game. Give me your take as a fan and as a gambler. Uh, as a fan, I, I try to always look at the perspective of uh, the players and sure, I, I feel for them. They have an extra game, but we all talk about all the time. They're making hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars. So they're going to be all right. Um, yeah. As a pro, this is amazing. It's like having an extra week added to my pay week. The best thing ever. I enjoy preseason, but you can't get a lot down on preseason. They kind of limit how much the books take on preseason games. So, the way it's shaping up, we're going to get the season started a week early, only have three preseason games, and it's amazing. It's I just think we're in the golden age of football right now, and it just keeps it growing. It, keeps, it just keeps giving back the product what people want, and people just they, they just want points. And what we've seen over the last couple of years is the offenses have really exploded. So the fact that they're doing this, it's going to expand fantasy. It's going to expand sports betting. It's, it's the best. I'm really excited about they're doing this. I love how you say it's like getting an extra paycheck. And it really is. It's like my favorite weeks are the, the last couple of weeks because I have so much information on all these teams. I mean, we, we had it last week. We went 5-0 and on our final week. I think it was week 16. So it's definitely one of those where but towards the end of the year, I just have so much information that I just love it. It's like you, you can see huge discrepancy in lines. You're getting three points of value, which in the middle or early part of the season, you're not really seeing that kind of stuff. So – for me, the, the extra added week, it's really, really huge to my end of the year return. So we were on the phone, <clears throat> you know, we were talking before the podcast. You said that 
you went out and started betting team totals as soon as you saw the news. Did books not adjust their total wins? I haven't seen a ton of team totals. So I'm surprised you're able to get anything done on a team total right now. Um, but get, tell me what's happening. That's why you're not a pro, Chad. That's, that's why you're not a pro. It, it uh, came out last night. DraftKings put out team totals. So obviously, I didn't feel like driving resorts at 10 o'clock last night. So I just went to bed. I woke up at like 6, 5.30 this morning. DraftKings put out team totals last night. It's Tuesday afternoon. Thanks for doing that. Give me some, some team totals that you looked at. I like to take unders because the public mainly is going to come in and take overs. So I like to get down early on unders. Again, we're going to talk about this for the next few months. We'll let the dust settle, but there's three or four that I have to hit right away. So the Lions, I think they're a team that's going to tank this year. I hit their under five. Uh, the Eagles, six and a half at plus money for the under right now because the area I live in, it's a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans. They're going to be heavily sl- uh, slated towards the over. So right now, six and a half. People have been taking the over, so it's plus 123 on the under for the Eagles. This is not a team that I can see getting seven wins. They just have too many holes. They have a second-round quarterback that we're very unsure about, and they don't really have the offensive weapons for me to believe in. So that's another team like the fade, and we'll get to your team, of course, the Bears. So the Bears are sitting at seven, plus money towards the under. When I look at that division, it's so tempting to take the over. It feels like they're baiting me to take the over because we know that Green Bay runs that division. They're, they're the most complete team. Minnesota has tons of holes. It's hard to believe in Kirk. It's, it's one of those where I don't believe in the Lions either. So if I don't believe in the Bears, the Lions, or the Vikings, someone's got to get the second amount of wins. I'm having a, a battle right now with myself between them and the Vikings, but I just can't back Andy Dalton. I just do not have faith in Andy Dalton. So for me, plus money, taking the under at seven, I like that number a lot. I have it 6.8, so I'm getting a good, good number there at seven. It's, it's a fair number to push, so I, I like the under. Even at 17 games, that's like, <laughs> you like, you look at the Bears and you're like, it's so weird to say, this team is going 6-11. and 11. I do. I, I just look at that team and I think that it starts at the top in the ownership. And I know Bear fans complain about it constantly, the ownership there. But the fact that he gave this coach and this general manager another year and they brought in Andy Dalton to save their problems. I just have this team quitting by week five. So I'm sorry to say it to the Bears fans. I hope they can get off to a hard, hot start like they did last year and then they fell apart. I just don't see it. I see a team that it's just, they're just not right. So I, I, I'm, I'm staying away from the Bears over. I like their under. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you. There's nothing about Andy Dalton that is inspiring confidence in Bears fans. All, all me and my buddies and me and my younger son have been doing for the past 10 days or whatever it's been since they signed Andy Dalton is looking at what like NFL memes does, which is consistently trolling Andy Dalton and posting the most uninspiring moments and videos where Andy Dalton is trying to get the team going. And he's like, all right, guys, we're going to go out there. We're going to do better. We're going to win. We're going to be our best. Let's go. And it's like, there's nothing about him that is making me excited. Then you walk in like they're trying to do a hype video. I feel like I feel like the Bears social media team is so under duress. And Ryan Pace is just standing over their shoulder saying, post this nice thing about Andy Dalton. Post this thing to make Andy Dalton look great. And like they're trying so hard. They're so game to make Andy Dalton look great. And they can't do it. Like 
I feel terrible for everybody. I swear they're trolling you. Like the QB one post, they posted oh him a God. picture of Andy Dolan QB one. That was such a troll job by them. That was great. But the fact that they're doing it without any irony, like without any self-awareness, they, it's like, do they not know? There's not a single person in Chicago who is a fan of the Bears who is saying, yes, Andy Dalton's QB1 is what's going to get us to over seven wins in, an, in a 17-game in a season. Hey, I, got some good, I got some good news, Shaz. We're, we're going to talk baseball now. We are going to talk baseball. Let's transition. That's a very good transition. Uh, to let everybody know, Simon Hunter, DraftKings posted some odds last night in the state of New Jersey, some totals on NFL, NFL teams in a 17-game uh, season. Simon bet the Lions under five. He bet the Eagles, the Eagles under six and a half. And he bet the Bears under seven. Does not bode well for the rest of us. But let's do some baseball because we got opening day on Thursday for the first time in God knows how long. Every single team is uh, lacing them up. On Thursday, there's going to be a whole slate of games, which, by the way, is genius. And it's what the it's what Major League Baseball should have done last year when the schedule when they restarted. They should have been playing games all day, nonstop, every day, like the NBA was, instead of trying to get every game starting at 7:30, which was just terrible for fans and a horrible way to bring sports back when they could have owned and dominated. But I digress. I'm not going to get angry about it. I'm not going to get upset about it because honestly. Our baseball coverage is so freaking good that if we can get 15 games in one day and then we can get 162 games for every team throughout the year, we are going to be rolling. If you don't read Sean Zarillo, guess what? You're going to get a chance to because he will write every freaking day, it seems. He will watch every freaking game. He will bet on every game. You can follow him in the Action Network app and see exactly what he's doing. All of the projections that we have and our projections are genius, are powered by the brain of Sean Zarillo. Hello, Sean. Hey, Chad. Hey, Simon. How are you guys doing? What's going on, brother? Do you know Sean Zarillo's first ever podcast experience was on The Favorites? He had been working with us maybe for a week. I thought he had done like a lot of stuff because he's written a lot. He's worked in media. Like his, he sent me the best cold email of anybody that has ever sent me an email. And I just figured like the guy had media training and the first time he ever did anything was coming on the favorites podcast. It's like you, Simon. Yeah. With blackjack Fletcher, no less to, uh, you know, trying to throw me off balance from across the desk. So that was, that was an interesting dynamic, but we got through it. We did get through it. Uh, also joining us. Oh, boy. Oh, Colin Wilson. Colin Wilson, who loves baseball so much, loves betting baseball so much. He loves his Kansas City Royals. Uh, he did a nice little trip with his kids. The first uh, the weekend that the brackets were announced, he went to spring training. He watched some Royals baseball. Loves to talk baseball. We got to pour one out for the Arkansas Razorbacks, though, because Simon... I mean, Colin, the only thing Colin loves more than baseball and college football might be the Arkansas Razorbacks. How you feeling, buddy? Woo, pig suey. You know, I, I said yesterday on our March Madness live show, I was content with how far we got. Uh, I am blessed to support a college, fund a college. 
that also has the number one baseball team in America. So I just get to roll right into another great team before I roll right into college football season where we will return to bowl season. So from a a collegiate standpoint, I I couldn't be happier. I'm glad for our run. I'm ready to turn the page into baseball. Uh, Baseball is my one true first love in life because when I was three, four years old, uh, the weekend vacations were me in uh, my diapers running up and down the stairs at Kauffman Stadium with George Brett, Willie Wilson, uh, you know, Dick Hauser, Whitey Herzog is coaching uh, Frank White. I mean, that my life was the Kansas City Royals until college football really took it over in my teens. Listen, you're speaking my tune because I'm older than you are. And so you too old. You're just an old man. I am thinking about those royal blue you know, sands about sand knit unis uh, and George Brett being to me like such a like so much of what you think about when you think about sort of baseball and those great stories that he tells and him running to the plate after the Pine Tower game against the Yankees and those battles against the Yankees and ah, like, you know, twib notes. He's a twib notes guy. A twib, the, the Royals are a twib notes legend team like that legendary late 70s early 80s run for them i'm thinking joe garagiola and i'm thinking twib notes twib was the greatest show ever for those of you that are out there in chad and i's age range now i have to set the bar for the favorites here everybody needs to realize zarillo and i have a very good working professional relationship but he's a diehard mets fan who lost the 2015 series to the kansas city royals all right so we get along with everything but don't bring up the 15 series the one, two, again. You know, if we knew each other then, I don't know if our relationship would be as good as it is now. So I'm glad that we met each other, uh, you know, a little bit later in life. All right, so let's get to the season, though, because it is going to be a long season. It's going to be a great season. Opening day is always one of the best days in the sports calendar. It is Thursday, April 1st. Every team is playing. It's a full day of baseball. Zerillo, first question go into you. What do I need to think about if I want to bet baseball? How do I do it? Like uh, there are a lot of people who might only bet football and betting baseball is an incredibly challenging thing to do on a regular basis because it requires a lot of concentration. Yeah. So I'd say the first thing is it's not a spread game. Uh, I would generally stick to money lines. That's where I focus most of my time and energy. I think spreads are generally negative EV. Most games pretty much all games listed at plus or minus one and a half runs. You know, the, the amount of games that end up alienating on, on one run, I think it's about 14%. It's just not worth it relative to the odds that they put out. So if you're interested in playing spreads, I would generally look at reverse run lines with underdogs, otherwise pass and look at money lines. And really it's, I think it's a much easier conversion to find teams with value than it is relative to other sports where you have to make your own power rankings, figure out what the point spread should be. You could just go and find publicly available projections. You could use our projections, whatever floats your boat, whatever you think is most accurate, and see the team is 40% likely to win a game today, and their listed odds imply that they're 35% likely to win, and place a bet on their side at you know a 5% confidence level that they're going to exceed their expectations. So there's a lot of value on underdogs throughout the season, uh, but if you kind of divvy yourself up into the first five innings markets and ignore bullpens or potentially depending on openers, you know, look at who's expected to pitch those first five innings and then full game lines. I think you can just spend the majority of your time looking at those two markets 
and end up betting close to a thousand games throughout the season. There's just so much action. There's about 13.5 games per day over the course of six months. And there's plenty of opportunities. So no need to force anything, no need to bet anything where you aren't showing value unless you think there's something outside of the numbers that like a pitcher injury or something like that, that may indicate that the probability should be different than when it's projected. But there's just so much opportunity to make money throughout the season if you're patient and you're willing to deal, deal with extreme swings of variance because there's definitely lots of up and downs. All right. I, want, I know Simon wants to jump in with a question, but I got to follow up on one thing. And, and I want to get Simon's perspective on this and I want to get Colin's perspective on this as NFL and college football betters. You just said something very interesting, Zarello, which was if there is a, I think you said, a 5% confidence level, it's worth making a bet and tending to bet on the underdogs. That doesn't feel like something that gives me a lot of confidence. And yet, over the course of the season, that can potentially add up. So one, I want you to explain yourself a little bit. And two, I want to get Simon's perspective on how confident he is when he bets NFL games and Colin's perspective when he bets college football games. Yeah, I mean, it works the other way too. So generally, actually, I set my edge a little bit lower. I, I try to bet 3% edges or even 3.5%, which basically accounts for an error of margin relative to home field advantage. But, you know, if you if you have a projected favorite that you think is likely to win 65% of the time, the Dodgers should win about 65% of their games this year. And you're getting a line that is implying that they're likely to win this game 60% of the time or even 62% of the time. I think that's an actionable wager. So really, you're just looking for gaps every single day based upon the projections that you're using and the listed odds in the market and trying to find those edges. It's, it's not that I have a 5% confidence in that game, you know, winning or that I have, you know, fit greater than 50% on any particular game. Typically, I feel about the same on every game, except for like one a week that really stands out to me, but you're just kind of grinding along and, and picking off perceived edges that are different than what the marketplace is saying the game should be. Simon, when you think about NFL, what are you thinking about as far as edges? Oh, uh, I mean, never ending. It's every week you can find an edge. Like he's talking about baseball is the same thing. It's like the pros I talk to with baseball, it's the best because like you said, there's so many games. You can take days off. You can pick and choose your spots. You can ride hot teams. You can stay away from teams. Like football is different where it's kind of all combusted in just one day where it's like everything's pretty much happened on Sunday and that's where I'm going to make my money. And when I bet football, it's, it's completely different. It's like my, every bet I make, I think I'm going to win. Like I put the time and I put the work in where I, when I bet other sports, I have little to no faith I'm going to win. It's like, it's like everyone says, it's flipping a coin. It's like I have a 50-50 chance. And that's why I love what you guys do at the Action Network. You guys have literally have an app that you can go in and it's telling you the percentages and where the edges are on certain games. So that's one of those where if, I, if I'm getting information for somebody, I try to match it up with someone else. And that's why I like the app. If I, if I like a team, like he's just talking about Kansas City Royals, and they're a, a big favorite against a team that's a big plus dog, Maybe it's one of those where if you guys are saying, no, the value here is on the dog, I'll just stay away from it. So it's definitely one of these sports where baseball, it's, it's actually pretty easy to make money if you're really disciplined with your money. You just have to pick and choose your spots. Colin? Yeah, I mean, for as a college football better, to break it down, you know, mathematically, this is what I consider in college football to be a two and a half to three and a half point edge, right? That's 4%. Uh, to go from a, a point spread of five to six is 
or six and a half is about a 4%. So when Zerillo says I'm looking for 4% edge in football terms, for those of us that bet on football a ton, that's kind of what we're looking at, right? There's no real true key number that we're looking to cross. Uh, like we do in football, it's extremely important to get three and seven, uh, you know, eight's becoming important in college football, but with baseball uh, you know, if you get those edges, here's where you've got to be not just good with numbers and baseball, but you got to be kind of an artist because you have to know when the line opens overnight, where it's going to head in the market when you wake up the next morning and where it's going to close before first pitch. And that's everything from market perception, public perception about a pitcher, maybe he had a bad last outing against a team that just happens to hit sliders better. Uh, maybe he's going to get an umpire that's going to help him out with some edges, painting the corners. Uh, you know, baseball is a thing where you have to also predict the market, but you got to be careful with your edges because the Dodgers are going to be minus 300 plus a ton of times this year. And it, you just can't take the dogs every time against them, no matter what the edges. And it's going to happen a lot against the Rockies. I mean, I, I think the average Dodgers line is going to be minus 380 against the Rockies this year. So even though there's edge every time and the public's going to pile on the Dodgers, you're going to have to hit a Rockies win like once out of every four, you know, to, to pay that off. So you have to be kind of an artist with the market and know where it's going to play, to do baseball lines. He just called you an artist. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely an art form in terms of being creative with how you're getting to your number and and just being different than everybody else and finding the the thing that makes your particular model unique. So I think I separate myself from the rest of the market and how I incorporate defense. And I think that's what gives me a slight edge compared to what other people are doing. Um, the challenge with betting baseball that I see it's a little bit like betting hockey, and we joke about this all the time at the Action Network. It's a miserable experience because you end up betting these underdogs knowing that a minus 380 favorite is not going to be a money-making proposition over a long period of time. So Sean and Colin, over the course of a season, do you feel like it's hard to be doing what you do where you're putting picks in the app every day on baseball. And a lot of times sort of the record might not reflect how often you're winning because you bet so much on underdogs. You know, I, I think it really just comes down to patience. Like there's, there's periods of time and just based on mathematical probability, if you're betting a thousand games over the course of the season, you're due for one 20 unit upswing and one 20 unit downswing over the course of that period. So you just need to be able to grind it out. And if you're not feeling it, like if you, if you're getting to a point where you feel like you're being reactive instead of going off of what your number is, take a day off and get away from it. Reset your mind because there's no point in following the same process. If you're going to deviate from it at some point, you have to be trying to true to your process, even if it's not going well for a period of time. You can't let the results affect you because there is going to be massive swings of variance. It's just that type of sport where you can't really quantify everything that's going to happen over the course of a nine inning game where you generally know the players who are going to be on a football field. You have a pretty good idea of the players who are going to come into a baseball game, but you don't have 100% certainty like you would with the football team. Trust the process. <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's what works for me. I mean, I've been doing baseball in the Action app since the Action app was born uh, and doing it successfully, but I've been doing it on totals. And really, it's just something that you have to trust your process. Sunday is getaway day. Nobody wants to be in the park longer than two and a half hours, right? Nobody wants this extended ball game on Sunday afternoon when they're trying to fly out. 
Uh, Monday morning, a team might have flown all night. Maybe they played Sunday night baseball. You can't expect them to hit very much when they come out. Uh, there are certain umpires that have ridiculous strike zones. Don't get me started on robot umps that are needed. But, you know, some umpires have such ridiculous strike zones. The wind at Wrigley may be going a certain way. Uh, there, I mean, there's just so many things when it comes to totals where you can find an edge and beat the market and get closing line value uh, and trust your process. You lose it, so what? So a guy gets called up from AAA and he, he gives up six runs in the eighth. I mean, your process was correct and you beat the market. Just keep playing it. So you just you dove in a little bit there about totals. I was wondering, coming into this season, like baseball handicappers, I know there's a lot of stuff being talked about with the baseballs. How does the, like, the whole thing going on with the baseballs and what's going on with the baseballs and how does that affect totals going into the season coming up? I, I'll go first because I know Sean has a lot to say. Sean will get a lot off his chest here, but I don't understand MLB coming out and saying we are going to subtly change the ball. I mean, this is something where there's people that put Vaseline, pine tar, snot, Vagisil, all kinds of shit on the ball, and it has a major effect at spin rate and, and 12 to 6 curves. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, the home run rate last year dropped from 6.6% to 6.5. We got to do more by shrinking the core. Like this is a beer league softball team. I don't get what MLB is trying to do by limiting home runs. You don't see the NBA putting their goals at 11 feet because there's just too many dunks, right? The most exciting part of the game, we're just going to have to eliminate it. So I don't know what MLB's deal is. And the humidor factor, I'll let Sean talk about, because that pisses me off as well, because last year they put five in, didn't tell you what parks they were in. And this year they're putting more in and they're still not telling us where the humidor is going to be. Yeah. I'd say a third of the parks now have humidors and we still don't know where half of them are. So I wish it was just the baseballs that they were messing with. Um, they're also cracking down on the substances that Colin mentioned that pitchers are going to be using. They're going to be monitoring spin rates closer this year, potentially suspending. I mean, sure, it's mostly just to keep the honest honest, but they say that they're going to suspend pitchers who spin rates are very uh, wildly varying from past performance. And it really just comes down to the fact that there's there's so many factors that they're changing. It's It's hard to really put a number or quantify what the difference is going to be Runs and home runs are both down in spring training. Is that confirmation bias or is that reality? Well, we're going to find out when the regular season starts. Home field advantage without fans was took a big dip at the beginning of the regular season last year and ended up evening out. You know, you, you always want to confirm the things that you suspect might be happening based upon the data that you have, but you need to give it a larger sample in order for it to play out and actually see what the truth is. So I'm a big believer in the law of unintended consequences. And I ultimately think that this is going to have a net negative effect on the changes that they want to make. They want fewer home runs. They want more balls in play. Well, if hitters know that the mistakes that they're hitting out to the opposite field, they aren't going to fly as far. Why wouldn't they try to pull the ball more and hit more home runs to the pole side of the park? They're going to lay off the pitches to the outside, maybe take more strikeouts, maybe take more walks. I think there's a potential increase that we're going to see to three true outcomes affected baseball instead of a decrease just because they're trying to decrease the rate of home runs and hitters are going to adjust because of the result of that. Also, the seam height on the ball is higher. You're going to see increased pin spin rates from pitchers. These pitchers might become more dangerous than they already have been because they're getting a better grip on the baseball without needing any foreign substances. So there's a confluence of factors going on here. I know bookmakers came out and said that they're not really going to adjust totals more than about a quarter of a run to start the season. And then if there's a big impact on the way the games are being played, they'll adjust further from there. But if you think you have an edge on these early season totals, particularly with regards to the unders, that's where I'd look early in the year. You may be able to get in there before books ultimately adjust the entire run environment down. 
I took about a, a quarter of a run off of my projected runs per game, but that's about as far as I'm going for now until we have more information. This is, this is the heart of the problem. Like, why is baseball making the ball such an issue that it's driving fans insane and it's driving the people who are closest to the game even nuttier and making them angrier? Take, take the noise out of the conversation when it comes to giving fans the product. I think that's the biggest challenge that baseball has. Like, I don't want bookmakers to have to be telling me how they're adjusting based on the ball. I don't want to know that there are humidors in a third of the parks, but I don't know where they are. Like, that doesn't make the game more even. It changes the competitive balance in ways that are unforeseen, unpredictable, but not driven by the performance of the players, of players getting better, of managerial decisions. It's based on an outside factor that drives me nuts. Am I overreacting, Zerillo? No, not at all. Uh, I think people just want consistency and to be able to watch the game develop naturally over time and, and let pitchers adjust to the fly ball revolution that we've seen and bury hitters with more high fastballs and breaking balls low in the zone. Like The game should eventually let itself figure it out and you have hitters coming up like Nick Madrigal who are high contact hitters who are going to take advantage of the fact that defenses are playing them differently and outfields are playing a little bit deeper. So I think you just need to let sports naturally evolve over time. And unless you have go back to a situation like in the seventies where they needed to lower the mound because pitching became so incredibly dominant, move the mound back a few feet. There's, there's other solutions other than changing the ball that are proven that they can help get the game back to having more action, more balls in play. The fact that pitchers are just throwing harder than ever. Hitters don't have the time to react to those pitches that they used to. So the way to combat that is to move the bat, move the mound back or lower the mound. And I don't really think messing with the baseball itself and just seeing what's going to happen is the best solution because we really don't know what's going to happen. Baseball is starting like, what are the two teams that you're saying they're still really good value to win the World Series? Like, do we have some odds for divisions you like too? Or are there World Series that you're just saying, these, these are numbers are off. You should bet it now before the public comes in after they have a really good start to the season. Listen, I, I think when you're investing in MLB Futures preseason, you need to know what owners and GMs are looking to spend before the deadline and which ones are looking to sell. Uh, and, and, you know, for me, that's why I have such an issue with the Red Sox, like this number down at 79 and a half for their win total. That to me is too low. I think 81 was really the threshold. And now we're just kind of dogpiling on an organization that can't get their stuff together. But I can't come on here and say that we should take it over because I don't really know the direction. I just know they have enough talent to get over 79 and a half, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be buyers at the deadline. Uh, and a team that I bought immediately to win their division, I would buy them to win the World Series. A team that's gotten way too much hate is the Houston Astros. And right now uh, at FanDuel, they're over 87 and a half. Uh, this is a number uh, that I think I make at 90 from a win Pythagorean standpoint. Sean's got them at 89 wins. Uh, I think they can win the World Series. I think they're definitely going to win the AL West. Uh, I mean, even Davenport, they didn't take last year's projections and they have them at 95 wins. And, you know, Fangraphs has them as the second best offensive war behind the Dodgers and the best overall war in, in the AL. Uh, you know, the dip in their total came because of Framber Valdez taking a, a comeback pitch off of his ring finger. 
but now he's having this miraculous recovery and dusty, you know, Baker's like, this is, you know, it's going to be great. He's, he's fine. No big problem here. They signed Jake Odorizzi to be a fifth starter. That's a great fifth starter. He's not great, but he's a great fifth starter. Uh, Altuve looks like himself again in spring training. Jordan Alvarez is still growing as a hitter, which is scary for everybody. And their new center fielder that replaced George Springer, Miles Straw may be the fastest man in MLB. I mean, I was thinking Mondesi was going to run away with the stolen base title, but this, this Miles Straw kid, if he can get on base, is potentially a 40-steal guy. Uh, so I love the Astros. Yeah, just to echo off of what Colin was saying with the Astros. So the most conservative divisional projection for them is about 55%, and you can still bet them at plus 130 at FanDuel, uh, which is a pretty substantial edge. Most aggressive projection on them is 82% to win their division. I have the World Series odds at 8.4%. So that's closer to 10 to 1 than it is to 25 to 1, 30 to 1 out there that you can get. A bit of a homer pick, but listen, I've never bet Mets futures before. Again, the most conservative divisional projection on them is 53%. Highest is 63%. So betting them at plus 150 to win their division, it's more than a 15% edge. Again, World Series projection closer to 11%. If you can get, pick off a 12 to one out there, there's actually an 18 to one on the West coast that you can snipe. Those are both actionable numbers, but by far the most undervalued team right now is the Milwaukee Brewers added Colton Long, and Jackie Bradley jr. Up the middle to fix their defense. We've seen repeatedly throughout the past decade, 20 years, the quickest way to improve your team and turn it around is to improve your team defense. And when you have really good pitching, like they do, it kind of amplifies everything that you're doing. So Yelich is heading in spring training, looks over the struggles that he had last year. Keston Hero is heading in spring training. I like the way that their offense is shaping up. I love their defense. I love their bullpen. They have a couple of really sneaky Cy Young candidates at the top of their rotation, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. So just to go back to projections, I have them at 54% to win the NL Central. Their range is 37 to 63%, so it's a much wider range of outcomes in a pretty wide open division. You can still bet a plus 310 out there at FanDuel. That's obviously still more than a 10% edge, even if you're taking that 37% projection. I have the World Series odds projected at 3.4%. You can find a number as high as 7,500. I threw a ticket up on Twitter yesterday. I mean, if you want a team that's a long shot to make make the playoffs and then have a path to the World Series, here's the most underrated thing that people aren't talking about this year. Since we're going back to the old playoff format, there's a path for the NL Central or the NL East champion to avoid the Dodgers completely in the playoffs. If the Dodgers are as good as you think they're going to be and they finish with the best record in the NL, and the Padres are also as good as you think they're going to be and they finish in the wild card spot, you're looking at the wild card winner, which presumably would be the Mets, the Braves, or the Padres, playing the Dodgers in the first round of the playoffs in a five-game series where they have a much better chance of beating them than anybody would in a seven-game series. And then the winner of the NL East and the NL Central series would presumably get to play a good wildcard team in the NLCS and get home field advantage. So I think there's certainly a path to value for the NL East and NL Central champion, provided the Dodgers are as good as they are and they get a pretty tough first round matchup. The Dude, Brewers just at that 75 to one number, I think it's tremendous value and it's, it's probably double what it should be. You, can, I, can I echo that real quick? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let me echo this about the Brewers. Right now on FanDuel, the Cardinals are plus 100. They were like plus 250, but then they signed Nolan Arenado, and they just, they're, they're, everybody jumped on the Cardinals train. It's plus 100. Their one and a half game, their game total, win total for the season is like one and a half higher than the Brewers. So tell me why the Cardinals are plus 100 to win the Central and the Brewers are plus 310. It makes 
absolutely no sense. And then think about this. Oh, we got Nolan Arenado. That's great. Did you happen to see that the Brewers signed Colton Wong, a guy that had a defensive war over 15 a couple of years ago? Like the Brewers have four gold glovers. They have two guys with a K-9 rate over like over 10. Uh, they have like the best bullpen. I, I, I mean, I, the Brewers number is just not being paid attention to whatsoever. And this is a team, you know, Sun Life now ownership They're They've got the money to go after it if they, if they really are contenders. And I'm deeply concerned about Arenado. He dealt with shoulder inflammation mm-hmm. all year last year, wasn't hitting. It's his non-throwing shoulder, so he should be fine on defense. But he hasn't homered yet in spring training, and he's looked pretty bad at the plate. So I think there's significant downside to this Cardinals team. Pitching kind of scares me as well. Flaherty's had some injury concerns too. So really, this Cardinals team, even their upside projection, it's, it's hard to get them above where their highest win total is listed. I feel like Zerillo and the way you laid out a potential playoff path to the world series for the Brewers and how they can potentially avoid the Dodgers. That's just three dimensional future odds chess that you're playing right there. That only someone who was thinking about baseball as often as you do can get to. So that's, that's sort of where the value lies for division pennant, World Series odds. What about team totals? Colin, you're up first. Yeah, I mean, I took a I took a Blue Jays team total over uh, to start when spring training broke camp. I there's I'll talk about this later with some player props, but there's just so much offense here. I don't know what they're going to do on defense. Kirby Yates is now not going to close for them. He's hurt. Uh, they're kind of short on the pitching staff, but this is an offense that can score. 10 runs a night, double digit runs a night. It's going to be fantastic baseball, especially against teams like the Orioles, uh, teams like the Sox, people that have pin problems. Uh, the Blue Jays are just going to ring them up. Um, so I'll talk about a uh, player prop about them later. But, you know, one team that I was going to touch on was the Phillies. And I'm just not in love with what's what's going on uh, with the Phillies in this season. Now they brought in Dave Dombrowski president of operations. And if that name doesn't ring a bell for people that pay attention to baseball, this is a guy that's responsible for the Expos team in the early nineties, but just being a juggernaut had a world series stolen away from them in 94. He built the 1997 Marlins run to the world series. He built the tigers dominance in the early two thousands. So you say, well, why isn't this a good thing for the Phillies? Because he didn't build this $192 million roster. Right. He didn't give one hundred and fifteen million to JT Real Muto. Right. He a 30 year old catcher. Why? Because he frames. You could have got Stephen Vogt for three million dollars. Scott Kingery, twenty four million dollars, supposed to be the highest prospect in the Philly system. Boom. Down to minor leagues. This raw. And and we're getting Archie Bradley. uh, Shout out to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Archie Bradley. We got Archie Bradley coming in on a one year contract to shore up what was possibly the worst bullpen I've ever seen in the history of bullpens in 2020. So Phillies are in transition. They have huge contracts. We don't know what Dombrowski wants to do with these. I suspect there's going to be a lot of moves so that they can contend not against the Mets and Braves this year. It's not going to happen. Uh, So they are sellers, which makes me want to hit under their win total. What's the Blue Jays total and what's the Phillies total? Blue Jays over 86. Phillies under 81 and a half all day. He pretty much said what I thought in the back of my mind. Like, I'm trying to be optimistic as a Phillies fan. Literally going through the golden age of Utley, Howard, Jimmy Rollins, 
Cole Hamels is our pitcher. Like when I look at baseball, I always think it's one of these things where you build in the infield, you can whatever catcher is replaceable. Like we had Chooch Ruiz. He was a great, like you're talking about framing catcher. He was a great framing catcher. But like you just said, the under, it's really appealing. What I'm thinking here is it, is this even more of a reason to really back the Mets? It, it seems like in this division, the Mets are so far above everyone else. Like is Washington really going to compete with the Mets? It just, I, I can't see any other team that's really going to give the Mets a problem this coming year. I was wondering if Sean could break down what's going on with that. The Braves absolutely scared the daylights out of me. This Braves team is loaded with young talent, young pitching. I think Ian Anderson, who came up and pitched extremely well in the playoffs last year, could be the best pitcher on their team. And that included Cy Young candidate Max Fried and sneaky Cy Young candidate Mike Soroka, who's coming back from injury this year. So Acuna is one of the best young players in the game. I think the Braves are just loaded with young talent and upside. I do show value on their under 91 and a half, but I'm not touching it. Uh, the projected market's been kind of low on them for a few seasons now, and they keep exceeding it. And based on the talent they have in their roster, they're one of the f- actually richest teams in baseball, sneakily. I think they're in the top five or top three even. Uh, so they're going to keep willing to spend. So the Braves do scare me a little bit, but not enough to back off my Mets futures. Kind of have more of a neutral opinion on the Phillies. I just think that being the fourth best division, fourth best team in the strongest division in baseball – with a really strong young team like the Marlins coming up behind them. It's just a lot to overcome. Uh, you know, the NL East isn't going to get two wildcard teams, so that means that you have to beat one of the Mets or Braves and then still have enough wins to even make the second spot. So kind of a neutral take on the Phillies, but really if we're looking at win totals, it's the same way that I analyze divisional or World Series odds. I need that most conservative or least optimistic projection to exceed what the total is. Uh, so two teams that I'm looking at that I think pretty much everywhere, the Astros over 87 and a half and the Pirates who were awful, but I think they're still going to win more than 58 and a half games. They're in the weakest division in baseball in the NL Central. It's going to be tough for a lot of those teams to even break 500. The Cardinals under, we talked about as well, just based upon where they are. Um, you know, the Cardinals are a team who generally exceed their win total because they're so strong defensively. They've had some injuries, though, too. I, I mentioned the, the guys already, but also Harrison Bader, who's a really strong defensive center fielder, is going to be out for a little bit. Uh, the two under teams that I'm looking at right now, Chicago White Sox under 90 and a half wins. Eli Jimenez just got hurt. He's going to be out for at least five months, probably the whole season, based on how it looks. So the White Sox are willing to spend. They're going to replace that hole. He's a bad defender, but he's one of the best hitters in the American League. I think that's a big injury, and I think that really opens up the AL Central a little bit. And the Oakland A's under 87 and a half. Again, another team that has exceeded their projected win total for a few seasons now. But really, I just think with the way the Astros look, the way that the Angels look, Otani's looked a little bit better in spring than he looked earlier in the in the offseason. So I think the AL West is shaping up where the A's could be up against it a little bit this year. I won't be surprised if they exceed that number, but the value looks like it's there. Their projected range is 80 to 84 wins. So you're still getting at least three and a half of wins of value, even if you go with the most optimistic projection there. All right, Zerillo, <clears throat> last year you nailed Trevor Bauer for Cy Young in your write-up. Tell people right now your favorites for Cy Young, NL MVP, and AL MVP. Yeah, so there's certain criteria that you just need to need to hit in order to be able to get in the conversation. So I usually pick off about three or four guys in each league for Cy Young, and then I just stick with one person in each league for MVP. Um, so we're going by MVPs. I have Jose Ramirez in the AL. Uh, I think the 
Indians in general are just a little bit undervalued. And he, he ticks all the boxes. I believe he's third in wins above replacement since the midpoint of the 2019 season. And that includes time where he missed most of September. So there's just tons of upside with Ramirez. He, he looked like a completely transformed hitter after struggling earlier in that season. And he's kind of on an island relative to his teammates in terms of offensive output. So if, if Cleveland ends up winning the AL Central, he's probably going to be the reason why. And he's certainly going to have the numbers to claim it. But really, my most confident player future player that I want to have stock in is Juan Soto. Um, people realize that he's great, but I don't think they realize the context of how great he is. Four of the six projection systems that I rely on have him already as a better hitter than Mike Trout. If you look at historical context, if you talk to scouts, if you talk to managers who were around for it during that time, the comp on him is Ted Williams. And if you look at the filters for data in terms of what they've already put up through age 21, they're the only two players in MLB history with a walk rate greater than 15%, a home run plus walk rate greater than 20%, and a season with more walks than strikeouts where they led the league in on-base percentage. Again, the only two baseball players in history through age 21 Juan Soto and Ted Williams. So, man, I think Soto's live for a triple crown, not just this year, but in the future. Um, I only have him for MVP at plus 850. I have him for most home runs at 18 to 1. I like that to 15 to 1. Soto's a guy I'm heavily invested in. I think DeGrom is kind of as close as you can get to a lock for NL Cy Young if he stays healthy. Uh, his velocity actually increased last year. The guy is seemingly getting better with age, converted shortstop, doesn't have as much mileage on his arm as other pitchers that can do him do. So I really like the Grom, but there's some other long shots in the NL I'm taking a look at. My favorite one of which is probably Brandon Woodruff at 25 to one. We've been big on the Brewers on this podcast, but Woodruff is going to be a big driver of their success this year. He's a workhorse. He's going to get to 200 innings, probably 200 strikeouts if he stays healthy. And on the AL side, I really like the improvements that Kenta Maeda made last season with the twins. It's rare that you have a pitcher or a player leave the Dodgers and find improvements, but his Pocota projections are extremely optimistic. They have his ERA close to about 3.25. So he's right up with the leaders in the AL. If he gets 30 turns and averages six innings per start and has better ratios, he's a really good defense behind him. If he has better ratios than the guys who are a little bit ahead of him in strikeouts, like Giolito and like Garrett Cole, he's going to be in the conversation. He finished second last year behind Shane Bieber, who's unanimous. So he's already on the minds of voters. So Kentamayet is a long shot. I think is certainly worth the price of the ticket. And, and I love that you just dove in the player props. That's one of my favorite things at Bedford Baseball. I like the long shots, the home runs, or most Ks, or different things like that. So I was wondering, Colin, do you have a th- like a player? He said Soto. I, I looked at his home run prop. Are there any guys you're looking at to lead the league in home runs that you think there's really good value on for that prop? Yeah, I'll have to pace myself here because I talked about it at length in the Action Network baseball preview back when we cut that, I think January or February, but I cannot believe that Teoscar Hernandez came out at 500 to one to win the home run. I, Zips has him, I think six or seven home runs off of like who they project to have the most home runs. It might've been Pete Alonzo. I'm not sure, but Teoscar Hernandez is the kind of guy that you absolutely want to look for when it comes to value and the fact that they are ascending in the world of power. And there's a lot of other outside factors that are going on with the blue Jays, but Hey, he is in the penthouse of this lineup. He's batting fourth in between Bo Bichette, 
He's right above Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He has got just the, the most perfect spot in the most perfect offensive lineup. And so I've mentioned him so much for like, you know, winning the home run crown, uh, like being an outside MVP candidate. If the Blue Jays make a run and win the division, which is completely, you know, that's more of a long shot. I would rather take him for home runs. Uh, but I've been rostering him in fantasy baseball for years. And the reason is because his streak, he's always been streaky in power. Like you're going to get eight home runs in one week and then you'll get nothing for the next week. So he's a great DFS play or a fantasy baseball play. But then in 2019, he got very consistent uh, with his home runs. And last year he hit 16 home runs in less than 50. His ISO went way up. His exit velocity went up two miles per hour. And you say, oh, it's only two miles per hour the league average in exit velocity because they're screwing around with the ball, it went down two miles an hour. So as everybody else had lower exit velocity, his actually ticked up two miles an hour. Uh, he's projected to bat fourth, like I said, tons of lineup protection. And then the one thing that you got to look at is his spray chart. His spray chart is all left field pole, left center. And if you haven't known, the Toronto Blue Jays are playing down in Dunedin, right? Their single A Florida State League ballpark where they do their spring training. Go up and pull up a wind map of how it looks in that town with that ballpark and where the wind blows. It is straight out to left. And I know it was 2019 because that's the last time we had minor league baseball. But if you look at park factors, and yes, I'm that big of a dork. If you look at park factors for single A baseball, that was the second highest home run rate uh, for for all of the teams that park Dunedin. Uh, so, it, it, you know, if their single A team is jacking bombs out of that park, what is T. Oscar Hernandez going to do with all that exit velocity, right? And his spray chart matches the wind perfectly. Sign me up for what was a 500 to 1, 300 to 1, 200 to 1. I think I've seen some 60 to 1 still out there. I love it. I absolutely love that problem. Yeah, I think Colin nailed it with the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays are going to swing so many fantasy leagues this year, positive or negative, depending on those park plays out. But, man, I have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 15th in my RBI projections, and everyone around him in my projections is listed between 25 and 30 to 1 for most RBIs. You can get him at 60 to 1 at FanDuel. That's one of my favorite prop bets out there right now. The price just doesn't make sense. You should be half that number based upon the projections. So if you're looking for more of a long shot, though, you know, alongside Colin in the home run market, Miguel Sano is a guy I've been on for a couple of years now. His power, power metrics are off the charts. He's been amongst the highest in barrels per plate appearance for a few years now. Just has insane power. It really comes down to playing time for him at this point. And I like to target guys who have shown power who, if they can improve one skill, which would be contact rate, they're going to explode. So there's 50 home runs in that bat, and you can get him at, I think, greater than 50 to 1 at a lot of places, but as high as 55 to 1 at, at one book. So definitely shop around for a really good number on Sano. And then one of my sneaky favorite props right now, it's it's actually a most saves prop on Trevor Rosenthal. He signed late with the A's. He's replacing Liam Hendricks, who led the American League in saves, or led all of baseball in saves since the midpoint of the 2019 season. So he's certainly going to have the opportunities to convert those saves. Rebounded from Tommy John was awful the first year coming back, had career best rates across the board last year, was absolutely tremendous. He's eighth on my saves leaderboard. Everyone around him is in the 10 to 14 range. So a 20 to one, 15 to one, even or better. I really like Rosenthal for most saves. You know what you guys have done? You have made me so excited to sit in front of the television on April 1st and watch baseball and think about, Zerillo's projections, and by the way, everything Zerillo is talking about, everything Colin is talking about, 
Go read it in the Action Network app. It's free. Download it. Follow all of Zerillo's projections. You can get detailed information that goes even further than these guys did in this podcast. Listen to the Action Network podcast. They recorded another one. They're recording another one tomorrow to come out uh, in advance of uh, opening day on Thursday. It's phenomenal. Honest to God, like I want to be thinking about park factors and wind and spray charts. That just, it makes baseball sound, it gets rid of all the bullshit about the ball, all the bullshit about the pace of play. It just gets interesting. I love it's a numbers it. game, Chad. There's there's nothing more fun than solving number puzzles when when you think you have an advantage over somebody else. So, listen, if you uh, I see similarities to other sports, like if you like betting horse racing stuff like that, you know I, I think it's fun to bet on different sports because you can take different pieces of it and apply it to different things. And really, you're just playing a numbers puzzle and trying to figure out how to put a portfolio together that will give you expected value at the end of the year. I think the first month of the MLB season is going to be the most wild that we've had in a long time. And the reason I say that is because there was no minor league baseball in 2020. Your 18 and 19 year olds are now 20 and 21 year olds. They're, they're developing a lot more. Uh, I, you are going to have to adjust overnight to pitchers and hitters. I mean, I'm, I'm going through with my Kansas city Royals. This Bobby Witt kid, junior kid is absolutely on fire. Uh, I think he could win rookie of the year. And he did not look anything like this uh, two years ago when he was playing in low A ball. Uh, so whatever's happened during the pandemic in 2020, he is a completely different player. I think that's going to apply to a lot of the prospects at all of these teams. These are the most loaded rookie of the year races yes. I can ever remember in my lifetime, probably for baseball. There's just so many guys like Randy Rosarena, who was a World Series star last year, who have carried over their rookie eligibility status. I mean, it's hard to even bet any of these guys because there's probably 20 candidates in each league who could win. Well, listen, I think it's appropriate that we open the baseball portion of the podcast with Colin Wilson talking about watching college baseball. And we end it with Colin Wilson talking about watching single A baseball for <laughs> Royals prospects. Got to follow the beat reporter in Wilmington, Chad. <laughs> Unbelievable. Listen, baseball opening day. April 1st, get everything you need in the Action Network app. Follow Sean Zarillo, follow Colin Wilson. For my co-host, Simon Hunter, I am Chad Millman. This has been the Favorites Podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. We will be back on Thursday with the Thunderdome edition, Madcap Trivia. Download the podcast from Apple Podcasts, from Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, love you. Love you.